Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. A man who calls himself a Connect Specialist from a website called Podchaser, Daniel Leria, contacted me telling me that he had listened to Discovering Jazz and thought that a certain jazz musician and professor named Steve Haynes would be a great guest for my show. I followed it up, and he was right. So thanks, Daniel. Stephen Haynes is bass player and interim director of the Miles Davis Jazz Studies Program at the University of North Carolina, and he's played with some very renowned jazz artists and has four albums under his own name. One of them that I've heard so much of is called Secret Stash. Here's a track that Steve thought would be a good one to play from that album. His own composition, it's called Catch Me If You Can. Then we'll hear from Steve Haynes. Thank you. 
leader and composer, with Peter Bernstein on guitar, Thomas Linger piano, Larry O'Dron on drums. Catch me if you can. And I did catch up with Steve Haynes, and uh, I first asked him about how he gained his passion for jazz. But what is it about the music that we talk about that arouses your passions, and how how did those passions first get aroused? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, Larry, it's so nice to be here with you. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, originally. And um, 
and I took a lot of classical piano lessons and eventually I started playing the tuba, which kind of went into electric bass. And then, um, and then there was a double bass in the back of the piano, in the back of the music department that I picked up. And my friend Martin taught me a song on it. He's a trumpet player who lives in Edmonton. And so I sort of, uh, fooled around with the double bass. I was really attracted to how big the sound was and how it made my whole body feel when I played it. Um, and I love the sound of the, the thump of it and the wood of it, you know, that same person, Martin, he, he gave me a cassette tape full of like tons of different, different kinds of music. And so I started listening to all those things, uh, you know, Duke Ellington and, and Nancy Wilson and, um, Cannonball Adderley, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, and and I was completely uh, enamored. I haven't played much Cannonball Adderley on these podcasts, and that's a shame. Now I have a great excuse, since that was one of the musicians who contributed to Steve Haynes becoming so enamored by this music. Here's something from his classic Something Else album of 1958 with Miles Davis trumpet, Hank Jones piano and composer, Sam Jones on bass, and Art Blakey drums. It's called Bangoon, Cannonball Adderley. Thank you. 
Cannonball Adderley, probably one of the recordings that Steve Haynes listened to as a youth and inspired him to become a jazz musician and scholar. Now, from my hour-long interview with Steve Haynes, I picked up that, for him, the essential elements of jazz, which you can learn by exploring jazz's deepest roots, are the obvious ones, which are blues and gospel and a sense of swing, but also repetition, inclusion, precedent, which is the knowledge of which came, what came before, and especially freedom. That last one we're going to explore more deeply in part two of this two-part series on essential elements. Let's do some further exploration of all those essential elements of this music that many people call jazz. Let's start with the blues. So one of my favorite um, sayings, I think, is that, you know, the deeper the roots, the higher the tree. We really take for granted those roots in the ground when we look at a big, beautiful tree, but we have to understand that the roots system is much, much more complex and, and deep than, than we might imagine for a really high, beautiful tree. And so for me, the essential elements um, come from um, our history with this music. And, and that history is, um, it comes from a lot of places. The blues is a great, is a great place to start. Um, our, our, or even gospel music, those two specific things, is really our cornerstone. And, um, and what's interesting about the blues is that um, we don't hear it a whole lot in today's music. Um, and I think to our detriment, honestly, playing the blues and hearing it is a, is a way to put a, a warm blanket around the blues we have. It's, it's a way to... to um, to make us feel better about the blues that we have in our lives. It's, it's a place where um, we can, we have the freedom to speak um, through, through musical language. And so, um, so I think what I did was I, I chose this uh, Ma Rainey um, example that, that, you know, you could play, which is, which is wonderful. And it's, I believe it's the first side of her uh, at the, of the beginning of her, um, very distinguished recording um, career. And this was from, this one's from 1923. Um, and it really gives you an idea of uh, what the blues is all about. Thank you. 
Gertrude Ma Rainey, one of the very first blues recordings from 1923. This one encompasses a few of the essential elements to which Steve Haynes refers. It certainly incorporates roots, or, as he often terms it, precedent, inclusion, as despite the role that women played in the development of jazz, they have for so long been excluded. There is the freedom, freedom to express, and repetition, and of course, the blues. Let's talk more about the blues and its role in later jazz. And in doing so, we'll also talk about uh, an artist that I featured on this podcast a few weeks ago, Oscar Peterson. So Oscar Peterson is one of the greatest humanitarians, greatest uh, Canadians, um, most virtuosic, virtuosic musicians, and one who, who embodies this sense of freedom um, and, and this and, and embodies this sense of swing in the blues. He's, he's, uh, he's the most remarkable uh, musician. And this is a great example of just taking a, the simplest of melodies that was written by Juan Tizal and Duke Ellington and, and playing a very simple little melody and then riffing off it for, you know, for a number of minutes playing the, playing the blues. And so you can really hear his sense of swing and his and his the cornerstone of the blues and you can and the sense of repetition you can hear all of that in this particular trio's uh work on night train from that night train album of 1963 here is sea jam blues Thank 
Oscar Peterson Trio with Ray Brown on bass and Ed Thigpen on drums. Sea Jam Blues. And of course, as well as blues, gospel was such an important part of the roots of jazz. It uh, is a wonderful illustration of the value of repetition. And Steve Haynes has a beautiful explanation as to why repetition is so important. With our gospel music um, and our blues, uh, one of our one of our big mainstays is call and response and and call and response uh came from a lot of places um it came from uh people that had to pass the time working there there's also evidence of 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 um men and women they would basically get together um on a sunday um folks who were enslaved would get together and and then a lot of a lot of folks were not given the opportunity or they weren't given the, the right to read and so a lot of ways that enslaved people learned um about about all of, about spiritualism and and the bible and 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 jesus was 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 through call and response with just somebody who who narrated and used a lot of repetition themselves just call and response to themselves on a, on a particular um scripture and then, and then ultimately that would be responded to as a, as a means of learning something, uh, for example, the New Testament, right? I just think, you know, repetition is, uh, is something that we use uh, as a means to, to, to feel better about, about our situation. It is both an essential ingredient for our music um, and for swing and the blues, but it's actually also a bit of a reminder for all of us that play music today that we've just we can't run away from our precedent because what we do is we lose our audience, um, and our our audiences these days require a calculator in order to figure out what's being played. Whereas uh, our music really demonstrates a different thing. For example, repetition. Just to hear something over and over is something that is just a warmth to our spirits and our souls. Here is the first recording that Arizona Drains ever released from 1926 with Sarah Martin and Richard Jones being the choir that repeats her lesson. This is John said he saw a number. Do it up the 
Arizona Drains. I'm going to play another recording by her next week when we focus on freedom. Gospel, repetition, freedom, precedent. All a part of jazz's most essential elements. Let's hear more of Steve Haynes talking about why repetition is such an essential element of jazz, or perhaps of any music, or maybe any art form, and even of most conversations. That does sound like it's certainly it's an essential element of gospel. Is yeah. it? Is it an essential element of what we call jazz? I think so. It's it's uh, it's repetition is an absolutely critical part of of our music. I mean, so, and we take it for granted, you know, Larry, when you hear, when you hear a bass player playing, you know, that's repetition. There are quarter notes that are played. Thanks to Chick Webb, who, who, who put it into that bass drum from a two beat to a four beat, and then eventually swung its way around to the bass player. Um, that is repetition. And so if, you know, and the same thing with the drums, um, you know, we, we, we have this, this, this boom, boom thing that's happening, um, with Chick Webb. And then eventually with, uh, we hear Papa Joe Jones doing it with the snare drum and with, and with the hi-hat, it's like this living dancing thing suddenly just appears before us. Um, the cross stick on two and four, boom, click, boom, click, boom, click, boom, click, boom, click, click. That creates an incredible uh, sense of forward motion and optimism that we hear, uh, which is why rock and roll really comes from jazz, right? Is we hear this backbeat in rock and roll now that's, that's so critical to, to so much of our music that that's where it was, that was where I was born. Let's hear a sample of that boom-boom-chick-chick thing that Joe Jones is doing. From 1938, the Count Basie Orchestra, Jumping at the Woodside.
one of those tunes I grew up with, even if it was recorded before my time. From 1938, that's Jumpin' at the Woodside, featuring the drumming of Joe Jones. Solos were by Basie on piano, Earl Warren, alto sax, Buck Clayton on trumpet, Lester Young tenor sax, and Herschel Evans clarinet. So, we've talked about gospel, blues, and repetition, and within all of them, freedom, as being essential elements of the music jazz musicians like to play and that we like to listen to. There's also the precedent in itself. Back to Steve Haynes' quote of the deeper the roots, the higher the tree. And the music of Louis Armstrong gives us some of the deepest and strongest roots, especially together with his wife, pianist and writer of this next tune. Uh, Steve Haynes suggested that we play Louis Armstrong's original version of Struttin' with Some Barbecue, written by his wife, Lil Harden Armstrong.
from 1927, Stratton with some barbecue. Louis Armstrong with Lil Harden on piano and Johnny Dodd's clarinet, Kid Ori trombone, and Johnny St. Cyr on banjo. As well as a deep sense of what was, that track illustrates another important element of jazz, swing. More from Steve Haynes. And so that sense of swing, um, and it, that is that is another one of our cornerstones of our music. Um, and we can hear it, you know, in today's music, we have we have swing and it's overt, and we have swing and it is subtle. Um, but nevertheless, uh, from from my ears, the best music there is, uh, you can hear the precedent, and you can hear Louis Armstrong in it. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting that today's uh, bands, the only ones that are hip or trad bands or anything like that. It, not not at all. I'm just saying that a lot of a lot of people that that have that start playing we they they don't go they don't do the homework and go through it and they don't realize the all of the incredible um incredible things they can draw from in order to, in order to make this music feel so good this particular track that uh that i'm sharing with you sopping with the sopping the biscuit is chock full of our our precedent and history and yet um Cyrus Chestnut and everybody on that recording that plays along with him, Stanley Turrentine, they just, I mean, you can, you can hear the history, but they're, but they're, there's total and complete freedom and how they all sound is so incredibly optimistic and swinging. There's so much freedom and it just feels so good um, that it's, it's just, uh, I think for the very, I think for like any, any person it, and can enjoy it because it just feels so good. <laughs> Here is you know? that more modern track by Roy Hargrove with Stanley Turrentine from 1994. Sop in the Biscuit.
Alsop and the Biscuit, Roy Hargrove. One essential element that is rarely talked about as being a component of this music, which is addressed quite passionately by Steve Haynes, is inclusion. And he expressed mixed feelings about calling this music jazz, even though he acknowledges that he does define himself as a jazz artist. And that concern goes hand in hand with the roots, or what he terms as precedent. In our day today, what we have is we have a very whitewashed music, it's very um, machismo. It's, it's, there's no gender parity in it at all. And it really doesn't reflect uh, the precedent and the history. And of course, precedent is so important um, to creativity. It's, it's what spurs creativity. It's, it's why attorneys need to know the law when they go before judges. They need to know the precedent so that they can, they can use that precedent for their further future arguments. And it's the same way with being a doctor or anything else. I mean, and so for us, we really have to know what our precedent is. And when we lose sight of that precedent, what ends up happening is our music ends up suffers for it. So this is a great example of um, sort of how things are, are whitewashed. You know, we, you know, for example, in, in jazz education in colleges and universities, there are many textbooks out there and very few of them really spend any time at all on Hazel Scott and it's it's I just find it so fascinating um, that we can that we can just sort of like mow over people Um, whereas there's so much there's so much rich history in her music and even in her life with what she did Um, so for example you know she was she had her own radio show in New York uh, she was very popular. She made a record with Charles Mingus and uh, Max Roach. And the the example that I'm that I've uh, sent to you is a foggy day. And there's a really interesting spot around this the two minute mark where she's playing um, in her right hand. She's playing the melody, and in the left hand, uh, well, I can't remember if it's the other way around, but she's playing two different melodies at the same time. Um, with each hand so they're completely independent of each other and and that these days we attribute to uh, brad meldow which is phenomenal he is phenomenal don't get me wrong he is phenomenal i love hearing uh, him play um but you know most people talk about bach or some classical composers that have influenced him or maybe even bill evans um it's not to say that he heard Hazel Scott and decided to do what she did, not, not by any means. I'm, I'm, I'm not omniscient, but I can say that Hazel Scott did this decades before he ever did. And nobody would, nobody knows because she's just not in a textbook. Let's finish up this episode of Discovering Jazz with that example to which Steve Haynes is referring by Hazel Scott with Charles Mingus and Max Roach. Um... You've been listening to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan. Next week, I'm going to put a deep focus on what Steve Haynes sees as one of the most essential elements of jazz, and I think I agree, which is freedom. And Steve will be back with sharing more of his passion and his words of wisdom. Hazel Scott, a foggy day. Bye for now.